So, for those of you who don't know, I was in Wisconsin doing my two-week annual training that ended up with ended up being 15 days in quarantine. So I didn't really get to do what I wanted to do while I was there. So my goal was to be out in the field with the soldiers and going on their missions and talking to them as they go along, but that was not God's plan. So I think I spent a day and a half out in the field and I got moved to a tent in the middle of the main camp area with a lot of other soldiers who were put in the same situation I was in. But as I sat there through that, God had a different plan and a different mission for me that week than I had originally planned. So it turns out in quarantine, there was a lot of soldiers struggling with what was going on, the unknowns and the changing of rules as they constantly went through stuff and things kept changing. So they were having some, some mental crises, as I would say. They were angry and upset because of things that were happening to them that were beyond their control. So God's used me to be able to talk to them, calm them down and give them a peace. So while it wasn't my plan and the original plan for me to do that there, I was able to do that. I was able to give services and, on Wednesday nights and share the message with people, share, share the gospel with some soldiers. They asked me what sin was, and so that was a great conversation to be able to just give them the, the picture of what God can do for their lives in that moment and forever. So while it wasn't what I wanted to do, I was still able to spend time and share the gospel with a lot of soldiers and give a lot of hope. To people but it was really good I enjoyed it I'm glad to be home not glad to be back starting school again I wish it was still summer break but hey we can't have everything in life right I, I still got 27 years <laughs> my retirement takes forever <laughs> but it's all good we enjoyed it uh, so today we're going to kind of do something a little bit different uh, in looking at, we're going to start talking about Daniel. And let me, let me back up a second. So while I was there also in quarantine, it's a weird place to be. There were things I'm used to having in my life that I didn't have during that time period. Biggest one was coffee. I think for you guys to know me, I went two weeks without, without a single drop of coffee. No. So you can imagine how good that was on my end when I drink coffee 24-7. Uh, but the other thing that I had was a lot of free time without access to the internet because <laughs> there was zero internet service for the most part there like at 2 in the morning every once in a while my phone would blink and I could get something look at the news or I could download something but other than that it was kind of just what I had with me so one of the things that Brandy had been actually praying for and so I blamed this whole thing on her was as we read through books of missionaries and stuff, we see as they go through their ministry, they would get illnesses and sickness and God would send them somewhere away and they would be able to spend time in, with him in a quiet place with no other distractions. So that's really what happened to me. God said, yeah, you're going to be in Wisconsin. I want you to have two weeks with a lot less distractions around you to spend time with me. So I, got to, I was able to download some books on my iPad, so I read those. I think I read five total books in, the, in a week and a half. So that's how much free time I had. But God really spoke to me a lot through that time period. So, okay, these are things that I want you to look at doing and how things, what should look like. So as I'm processing this still, I have, and how God is wanting to use me, my family, and then you guys as a church, how can, how can he bless us through this time period in what's looking at in this world of struggles that we live in. 
Right? We live in this crazy world that it just seems to be changing daily of what's going on, right? COVID is just a constant struggle. It's up and down. It's misinformation. It's not understanding all the information coming through. It's a scary time for people and it's an upsetting time for other people. But we just got to rely on God through it all and let him guide us through the process on all that. Uh, hurricanes hitting the southern coast again today. So I got a lot of family. I got friends that I consider family that are being displaced because of that. So there's a nerve-wracking time. I mean, there, there are people that lost their houses a few years ago from it. So this is like second, third major one coming at them. Um, so it's scary. There's trauma involved. It's a, a time of prayer for them. Uh, former churches that I've been at, they're going to be hit hard today. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a crazy time in this world that we live in. And that's not even dealing with all our own individual personal struggles that we go through. All right. But so as I, as I wrap all that, God's still in control. Right? God knows what's happening with the COVID out front outbreak. God knows what's happening in Louisiana today. God knows what's happening in Afghanistan where his people that have become Christians in a Muslim nation are now being persecuted. And so I had, a, I had a thought when I was reading something on it, and one of those brief moments where I was able to get on the internet, somebody was kind of bad-mouthing Christians and, and the people come over there, and I was like, it's great. We got Christians being spread out around the, around the world from Afghanistan that can share God's message, right? I mean, they're not just being held there in, in their time of persecution. They're going to get to go out, and they're going to get to share God's message with people freely and openly, that they haven't been able to do so before because of the country they live in where they were being martyred. So we need, we need to pray for those people right in, in our daily life because there's a lot of Christians that are still living there. They're having to hide their faith from people because if they find out, they'll be killed immediately. I've heard reports where they're going through people's cell phones looking for a Bible app. And if the Bible app's found, the entire family is killed. And we, we here in America think we're persecuted because somebody says something bad about us, right? And we're afraid to speak because we might upset somebody. But they're having to flee a country because the government's coming after them not to arrest them, but to kill them because of their belief in God. And that's heartbreaking to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ that having to go through that struggle. But thankfully, there's a way out for them. It's they're, they're bringing brought to physical safety. But now they can share the gospel with the people around them in a free, open environment. Isn't that great? Um, I think back to the stoning of Stephen. And I, I thought about that story a little bit, a little bit, and this kind of still, we're still not the sermon part yet, but. I'm rambling for a second longer. But as I thought about that story, I mean, what was God's commandment, Jesus' commandment when he left, right? It was go and make disciples of all nations. And so as I was thinking about the stoning of Stephen last week, that dawned on me. Was the stoning of Stephen a warning for the church to get out and go? Leave Jerusalem and go spread to the other nations. And yet they were refusing to do so. They were so huddled up in their comfortable area 
with each other. And God finally said, we're done. You guys have to leave and go share it to the nations. And when the stoning of Stephen happened, what did the people do? They fled to other countries. And when they fled, the gospel spread. Because that's what God was wanting to do. And in some ways, we see the Afghanistan Christians, they're fleeing, but they can share the gospel along with it. As Americans, we don't go out as much as we probably should and share the gospel. Whether it be in our communities, whether it be out to other countries, we're kind of comfortable with what's going on in our lives and we hold it in ourselves. So pray about that this week and see where God might have you spread the gospel. Because it might come down one day that in order for us to go spread the gospel, there'll be a fleeing as opposed to a going. Because God's word is going to get spread when God wants, God wants it to get spread. We're going to see a little bit of that in today's passage. God's going to do what God's going to do, despite our, our objections, right? So we're going to talk about, we're going to go, we're going to spend a few weeks, months, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to talk about the book of Daniel. There's a lot of great stories in the book of Daniel. Okay? So today we're going to kind of talk about like the historical perspective of where we're at in history when we're talking about Daniel. So, it, so we're talking about um, the king at the time is King Nebuchadnezzar. Right, we've all heard of him, right? We've all heard of him in the biblical sense in what we've read in Daniel. But who was he? So I did a little research. King Nebuchadnezzar was born in 634 B.C. Just a couple of days ago, right? 634 B.C. His father was the, was the general of an army of Babylon. And yet, taken over, was become the ruler of it. And as a son of the general, he was educated in military techniques, general literacy, and government organization. So he was trained to be the leader, trained to be a king. So that was what, what his dad's goal was for his, for his son to take over for him. He took over in uh, 605 B.C. and reigned until 562 B.C. Okay. Remember, B.C. is going backwards in, in our numbers, so don't get confused by that. Don't, I'm not crazy, other than normal. <laughs> um, he is considered to having been the greatest king of Babylon. Okay. His empire reigned around. He took over a lot of places, and he controlled an iron fist. In 598 B.C., he destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in it. So the Jews are not big fans of his to this day, even. And he was known to have created one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which I think everybody's kind of heard about those. As I was reading about it, some people think that those were really, there was never really a Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It's just a myth that somebody wrote about one day. I don't know. I thought that was kind of a cool fact, so I threw it in. But, but I titled today's message as the end of an era. The end of an era. What era am I talking about, right? So to find the end of the era, we're going to go back to 2 Kings. I'm going to read a big passage here about how if it's the very, end of, the very last part of 2 Kings and, 
And it really kind of goes into the story of the precursing stuff to what, where Daniel's at. So 2 Kings chapter 24. Bear with me, there's lots of tough names in here. I'm trying to read it fast. If I butcher your name, I'm sorry. I'm bad at that. My kids will make fun of me later, but that's okay. All right. And it's going to be a long read, but I think it's important to understand the historical idea of what's going on with Babylon, why, why they are, why we have the book of Daniel to start with. It says, During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked. Jehoiakim became his vessel for three years, and they turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent Chaldean, Armenian, Moabite, and Amorite raiders against Jehoiakim. He sent them to Judah to destroy, according to the word of the Lord, that spoken through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, this happened to Judah at the Lord's command to remove them from his sight. It was because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of all the innocent blood he had shed, he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. The rest of the events of Jehoiakim's reign, along with his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, and his son Jehoiakim became king in his place. Now, when the king of Egypt did not march, did not march against his, march out his land again, for the king of Babylon took everything that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king and reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushtan, daughter of Elenachon from Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight and his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. Then King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to the city while his servants were besieging it. Jehoiakim, son of Je Judah, along with his mother's servants, his commanders, and his officials, surrendered to the king of Babylon. So the king took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He also carried off from there all the treasures of the Lord's temple, the treasure of the king's palace, and cut into pieces all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the Lord's sanctuary, just as God had predicted. Then he deported all Jerusalem and all the commanders and all the fighting men, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and metalsmiths, Except for the forest people of the land, no one remained. Nebuchadnezzar deported Jehoiakim to Babylon. Also, he took the king's mother, king's wives, his officials, and leading men of the land into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The king of Babylon also brought captive into Babylon all 7,000 fighting men, 1,000 craftsmen, and metalsmiths, all strong and fit for war. Then the king of Babylon made uh, Matana, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutual, daughter of Jeremiah from, from Libna. Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. Because of the Lord's anger, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he finally banished him from his presence. Then the king of Je then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Okay. So the whole thing, I mean, like that's the story of King Nebuchadnezzar came and he took all the people from Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon. Took all the, the best people, the best workers, the best strong people. Is that all except for the poorest people he took to Babylon? And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was known for. He would take, when he took over an area, he would take the wisest people 
and bring them with him. They called him the king collector. He would take the kings and keep them as trophies that he had won. Because that, that would be kind of a fun trophy case to have. Wouldn't it be in that trophy case? I mean, we see that in movies all the time where, where we have somebody, they take over somebody and they keep their trinkets of war victories. This guy, he kept kings. These are the kings I conquered. They, they bowed down to me. I took over and I kept them. So God showed that through a lot of things, he said, I'm going to take over this country. You are going to be out of here. I no longer, you no longer have favor with me because you have disobeyed what I've told you to do. As you go back and read through Kings, first and second Kings, which I was able to do this those two weeks while I was away, it was, it was said every king would rise up, God would put a new king, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, just king after king after king, just doing what was evil. And, and God finally, here at the end of second Kings, and this is the end of Judah in that time period, it's going to go on chapter 25 where Zedekiah goes against Nebuchadnezzar and quits, quits obeying him so then Nebuchadnezzar comes back into the area and he wipes everything out, he destroys the temple, kills everybody because Zedekiah wouldn't follow him so let's look at going into 1st Daniel or Daniel, Daniel 1 verses 1 through 7 so it says in the third year of the reign of uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of, of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, put vessels into the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpens, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction, in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the, ro from the royal food and from wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Among them from the descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them other names. He gave them Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. So those, see how those two stories fit together? Daniel kind of has a short and condensed version of it in what God did to bring, bring them to Babylon. But one thing I like to point in verse 2, it says, The Lord handed, right? The Lord handed Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't a choice that Jehoiakim made. It wasn't a choice that Nebuchadnezzar made, but Daniel said it's a choice that God made to hand over the Israelites to them. He give, he's giving it to God, the glory to God for what happened. And there was nothing that they could have done about it because God made the choice. It didn't matter how, how hard they fought the battle, it was going to happen because God said it was going to happen. So, God didn't destroy everybody. He wanted people to be known. And we're, as we're going to see through Daniel, how God uses his name and raises his name up stronger through the people in Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he collected these men, 
and he taught them the way of the Chaldeans so they could be messengers and they could be useful for him. Or he took the smartest men and said, I want, you, I want to train you. I want to change you to serve for me. So he took them and taught them the, Chal the way of the Chaldeans. He took care of them both physically and mentally. Right? He wanted what was best for both their minds and their bodies. He gave them the best food, gave them the best drinks, he gave them the best clothes, and he gave them the best education. Right? Sounds like a good deal, right? To have everybody provide all that stuff for you and teach you so you can serve them. And for this, this was a training program that was for three years long, right? Could you imagine being put in a training program for three years and have to learn all this stuff? Rosie knows about that, three years of training, right? Except they don't give you free food at college, right? You have to pay for your own food, right? But they're training them to do what was, what was best. However, along with that free gifts that they were given, they were expected to do something. They were expected to forget their old ways and their God. They were expected to forget the way the lives they had learned. They wanted to be reintroduced to a new way of life, the, the Chaldean or the Babylonian way of life, the new morals, the new value systems that they had. They were expected to give those away, and they were expected to worship the gods of Babylon and forget God himself. They were expected to forget Yahweh. And that's what, that's what that three years was about also. It was about changing them from their old self to a new way that the Babylonians think they should have lived. And so at the very end of that, they were given new names. Right? Like, how many of us want a new name right now? Right? And we see that God did that all the time in the Bible too. Right? As he called people, he changed their name. Right? He changed who they were and what their life was supposed to be. He called, when he called them, he changed them. When we think about it with um, Abram, he became Abraham. Right? Sarah, she was she added an H to her name. Right? They, it was a minor change, but I told her, I can't remember what the meaning the change it was. I didn't look that up. But we're going to see that he was some guys here. So when they brought Daniel... And those guys, and they changed their names, right? The, the courts changed their names because they, they didn't like what their names meant in Hebrew. So they gave them new Babylonian names with a change of meaning. So Daniel, his original name means Elohim is my judge, or God is my judge. And they gave him the new name Belshazzar, which means Bel's prince. And Bel was one of the principal gods of Babylon. So he went from God is my judge to the Babylonians wanting to be the prince of their God. Hananiah meant Yahweh has been gracious. And they changed it from, from God has been gracious to Shadrach, which means friend of the king. Mishael means like who is like Elohim? Who is like God? They changed it to Meshach. And it became the worship of the worshiper of Shaq. Okay, Shaq was another God. So, so they want him to change the name of who is like God to become the worshiper of another God. Azariah was Yahweh has helped. And they changed it to a, it says in the Bible, Abednego. But that's actually, they didn't actually put the right name in the Bible because they didn't want to give credit. It was a, uh, actually a Ben-Nadu. Okay. 
And, then, and Nadu was the son of the principal god, Baal. But the, but the Israelites didn't want to give credit to that, so they changed it to Abednego instead of Abednego. So it means servant of Nego, but it was originally meant to be servant of Nadu. So you see how they changed their names from a godly name to somebody else that's against it. And so the thing we have to look at as Christians is we live in a world that expects us to change. They expect us to change to be more like them rather than being like God. And we see that all the time as, as we watch media and stuff, as, as things change, cultures change. The world wants us to adjust our way of thinking to the cultural appropriate way of thinking rather than using God's word for what we do. But as Christians, we've already had a change. Right? We've, we've been saved by the grace of God. And God took our old lives and said, this is no longer who you are. You are no longer the sinner that follows Satan, but rather you're my child. You're no longer lost, but you're found. I want to raise you up. Be in my training program, right? You know who else was in training for three years? Twelve disciples. Right? As God changed them from being fishermen to fishers of men. Were they perfect? No. But God gave them a three-year discipleship program so that they could go out and share the message. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. As we, as we get saved, he wants us to take and change and share the message of what he changed in us. And that's for everybody. That's not a one-person thing. That's not, that's not just for the pastors, right? And I know sitting in church, we think that the calling of going is, not, is for the pastors and the missionaries and, the, and, other, and those families, right? That's for, for them. They're the ones called to go and called to do. But I've never seen that written down, right? Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't say as he's getting ready to leave for pastors and missionaries to go share the gospel to other nations. He doesn't. He doesn't make a small set of people to go. He's talking to everybody. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. All right, where's that nation he has you called to go? Where has he changed? Are you going to be, are we going to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And our calling is not about us getting to choose to go, but God's saying, here, you're here now. I'm taking you. Are we going to go out and share the gospel like the early Christians didn't do and have to be forced to do it by fear? Are we going to be fleeing out and have to go share? Or are we just going to choose to honor God and go? Right? We've all been there with our kids, right? They don't want to do what they're supposed to do. We tell them to do something. They don't want to do it. What do we have to do? Gotta punish them, right? But there's gotta be a forcing in it when they're supposed to do the right thing. 
and we have to choose to do what's right in the eyes of God. So we're going to spend some time on this. This is kind of more of an introduction to what's going on. But there are some really good things that happen in the book of Daniel. And the way God uses things in time of captivity. In a time when they don't want to be there necessarily. Right? You know, remember, these guys weren't just there on their own free will. They were there as basically slaves. And being told where to be, what to do. And we'll see how God works with them in an area where they probably don't want to be. All right, let us pray and then we'll get ready to do the um, Lord's Supper.